Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bienvenidos a la serie de sermones de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Check it out. God bless you. It was good to have Pastor Sandra back in the saddle again, wasn't it? <laughs> I told her, I said, like riding a bike, wasn't it? <laughs> Today I'm preaching from Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Here, this is Paul talking to the church at Colossae, and here's how he describes them. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a tall order. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. In today's scripture, Paul tells us an incredible tr truth about the early church. In writing to the Colossians, Paul talks about the multiracial, multi-ethnic nature of that church. Christ brought them together, Jew and Gentile. They weren't each other's favorite, let me assure you. Slave and free, imagine the tensions in that relationship. Barbarian and civilized Scythians, circumcised and uncircumcised, a more diverse bunch you could not find. Also in Galatians, Paul throws in male and female. They came from different ethnicities, genders, socioeconomic realities. After all, slave and slave owners are as far apart in social status as you can get, as well as political status. People's educational differences were vast. A barbarian and a civilized person often had tensions. And because their differences were so many and so deep, Paul said, clothe yourselves. Put on these things. Start with compassion. Add kindness, humility, gentleness. And at the end he says patience, because it's going to take a lot of patience for you guys to get along. You're going to need it. It will take tremendous spiritual power for this new entity called the church to make it with differences this deep and this multiple. The New Testament church brought people together who really had no business being together. 
And in doing so, their very existence, their very makeup, demonstrated the power of God working among them. Today I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. As I look back on these last 17 years as we've been on this journey, I want to talk about the blessings of diversity that I've seen and experienced on this journey. And of course, on this weekend, Dr., where we celebrate Dr. King's life, there's no more appropriate time to do it. And the first blessing I have seen is the one I just talked about in the Colossian church. Diversity is its own witness to the love and power of Jesus Christ. When people who normally have nothing to do with each other come together, love each other, become friends, stand with each other, this creates a question. What in the world's going on with you people? What's happening there? Why are black and white folk coming together after 400 years of slavery and oppression and animosity and mistrust? Why are you guys together? And why are Latinos and Anglos in an age where Latinos from Mexico especially are being demonized in certain circles, why are you fellowshipping? Why are PhDs worshiping with GEDs? And why are rich and middle class and poor becoming friends? And then we get to tell them the answer. This is the work of God. This is the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a snapshot of the kingdom that one day will come in fullness. This is happening because Jesus rose from the grave and is alive and made, has made us alive together with him. I have new friends, brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Friendships that would have never happened otherwise without the kingdom of God. I would, Pastor, Pastor Cedra and Stanley and I, we're friends. Our relationship didn't stop when she retired. Hank is my friend. Even one day he'll be my boss, he's still my friend. Vu is my friend. Domingo and Beatrice. You're my friends. And the reason I have friends, these friends, is because of Jesus. There is no other reason. We would have never found each other if Jesus had not brought us together. You know, the, uh, uh, in Kilgali, Rwanda, there's a modest-sized church, probably not a whole lot bigger than us, gaining world attention. Part of the reason is because they've committed to working with HIV AIDS patients. This church is practical, but it's very creative. Their ministry is so good that people often turn to them instead of the Rwandan government for help. The church is bringing social and spiritual change to this city. But that's not why they're getting attention, as important as that is. They are getting attention because of the makeup of this church. This church is made up of Hutus and Tutsis. Do you know what that means? These are two separate tribes in Rwanda, two tribes that hated each other for so long that it climaxed in genocide in 1994, and there were millions of people slaughtered, chopped up with machetes and axes and shot and beaten to death. These were the people worshiping together. 
You see, the world's not impressed a lot by what the church does. They are not impressed with our buildings, as impressive as this garage is. <laughs> they are not impressed with mega churches. They certainly are not impressed with tele-evangelists. But when bitter enemies come together, when genocidal enemies forgive each other and repent and reconcile and love each other, the world stands on tiptoe to watch it. Because the world, have you noticed, doesn't know how to overcome its own problems with enemies. We, the world does not reconcile and forgive. The world builds walls and barbed wire fences and prisons and huge military industrial complexes and nuclear silos. The world does not know how to make friends out of its enemies. But the church does. Jesus does. And when we do it, when in our diversity we come together, the world sees a power it doesn't have. And it is in all such power. This kind of community draws the world to itself because people sense some kind of unseen power as a work that goes far beyond human effort and human abilities. It is its own witness. By the way, as I was mentioning my friends of people from other cultures, I just do need to say this. Uh, I like white people too. In fact, some of my best friends are white people. Black folks are going, yeah, we've heard that one. <laughs> Which leads us to the next blessing of diversity. And I've experienced it on this journey. More and more people are finding diversity attractive. It's attractive for a number of reasons. By the way, I'm convinced that in the future, if you want to grow, diversity, not homogeneity, is the way. This nation is changing. By 2050, whites will be less than 50% of the population. And the question facing North American churches is, do we see this as good news? Or do we see this as bad news? Do we rejoice at new opportunities to reach unchurched people coming to us? Or are we going to do what the church has so often done in this country? We're going to hunker down and run away. Mission fields are coming to us. Does the church in this country see that and rejoice? Or do we still have the same old racist tendencies in North America by rejoicing when we send missionaries to a world away, but hate it when the world comes here? And let me mention too, it's not just that mission field. The younger generations, the millennials, the postmoderns, the generation Y, whatever. <laughs> the older I get, the less I can remember all these generations. But we love you. <laughs> it's not a minus, but a plus for younger folks. Many have friends in schools and sports and clubs and band from other ethnicities. Will their friends be welcome when they come to worship with them? 
The sad and alarming truth is, is that in North America, the church is losing the postmoderns and the millennia. We are, the church is losing the younger generations. They have had it with church. And the sad truth is, I heard this from the first time year I became a Christian. Someone told me that the church is always one generation away from extinction. If that's true, the church in North America is in trouble. We are losing thousands of churches a year. And we are not reaching the younger generations. This is a scary time. The church is in trouble. One of the things many postmoderns don't like about the church is that they see the church focusing on personal holiness and sin, and rightfully so, while ignoring what they consider bigger issues like world hunger and inequity and racism and war. Postmoderns think there is something wrong by just focusing on ourselves all the time. They see the church focusing on personal stuff and ignoring injustice and national and global, uh, uh, on, a, on a national global scale, especially with things like poverty and race. We're ignoring, we're, we're, we're you know, straining out gnats and swallowing camels, they think, while we fight among ourselves over trivial differences. Comedian Emo Phillips wrote a joke about divisions among Christians, Christians fighting themselves over stuff. And apparently the joke is hilarious because GQ magazine named it the 44th funniest joke of all time. So I'm going to tell it to you. You can rate it. Here's what Emo Phillips says. He says, I was walking across a bridge one day when I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and said, stop, don't do it, don't jump. Why shouldn't I, he asked. Well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious? He said, yes. I said, me too. Are you Christian or otherwise? Christian? Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopal or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God, me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God? Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God, me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And Emo Phillips said, then die, heretic, and he pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Much of the world sees us doing this to ourselves. They go, why are you majoring on minors while the world burns? Please hear this. A segregated church or a monocultural church will be less and less attractive as the years go by. Part of the reason diversity is important because more and more it will be seen as a help to church growth, not a hindrance. As Bob Dylan once said, the times they are, the times they are changing. <laughs> will, we be, will we be sensitive to our times? Can't do Bob Dylan without a clothespin. Anyway. The third blessing I've experienced on this journey is that I have been expanded in so many ways, including my waistline. I used to be skinny before I discovered soul food. 
I love soul food. I love Sister Teresa's collard greens. And I hate vegetables, but I love Sister Teresa's collard greens. She makes them taste not like vegetables. I love Sister Teresa's mac and cheese, too. I love Jada's mac and cheese, Sister uh, Cedra's daughter. I love fried chicken. The thicker and greasier the crust, the better. We, we have four dietitians that attend this church. Put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> this may, this, eating like this may kill me, but folks, it's the way I want to go. <laughs> you know, I don't want to die from fruits and nuts. I want to die from lard-based products smeared in butter. That's how I, I want to. I asked my wife going, no. I, oh, that wasn't. Oh, I just normally, uh, never mind. <laughs> I, uh, you can pray for me even more. Anyway, uh, no. I want you to know that because of this journey we're on, I see the world differently now. You know, you really don't see your own culture until you see it through another culture's eyes. You see, culture is what you automatically do. You automatically think. You don't question it. You just, you just, it's the lenses you see the world through. Every now and then, it's good to have someone say, why do you and yours do it that way? What's up with that? And sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, the answer will be, when somebody asks me that question, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I just, we've just always done it that way. Because of interacting with other cultures, I see my culture through another culture's eyes. And I have grown. We have grown. I, I thanked Pastor Cedra in the first service. I said, thank you, Pastor Cedra, for teaching me African-American 101. Because when we started this journey, I got news for you. I made a bunch of mistakes. I put my foot in my mouth. You know, and, and Pastor Cedra would gently take me to the side and say, don't do that anymore. <laughs> or she'd take me to the side and say, don't say that anymore. And every now and then, she would have to hit me. But I learned. I'm kidding. She never, she never hit me. Anyway, <laughs> what Paul says to the Colossian church is this. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And remember, the reason he said this is because precisely because he was talking to a diverse church. I think he was talking to the body of Christ that was so diverse, and it's you know, and, and they had to ask questions of each other that they could have easily taken offense at. Like, why do you do it that way? Why do you think that way? Why is that your perspective? Have you tried it this way? Humility and gentleness and patience are important here because misunderstandings are so easy when you have centuries of misunderstandings. Every person here, 
every person here, no matter where you are from, what culture, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic class, every person here has something to teach every other person here today. If asked in love and humility and patience, we all can be expanded by diversity. Our minds enlarged by diversity. Our worlds grown by diversity. You see, they've done research. I'll give you scientific fact why it is important for people, organizations to be diverse. Research has shown that diverse groups are more creative and come up with more good ideas than groups composed only of like people. Diverse groups have more ideas and resources that stretch each other and the whole group. Non-diverse groups have simply less to choose from on the menu when it comes to ideas and resources. Remember the old saying, if you and I think exactly alike all the time, one of us is unnecessary. It applies to groups, organizations. It applies to churches. If I just fellowship with five white guys my age, we're going to not be nearly as creative as if I work with women and people of other ethnic groups and younger people. It will be a better product in the end. More diversity means more creativity and better ideas. God is making a tapestry here. Different threads, different colors, different smells, different perspectives, different textures. We can and we must learn from each other. We can learn from anyone here. Because see, in this church, we have PhDs in this church. People gone to college and they have their PhD in education or psychology or whatever. But I got news for you. We have other kinds of PhDs in this church too. We have PhDs in this church with street smarts who know their way around the city. We have people who, you know, that if you put me in their place, I wouldn't last a day. But they know how to navigate it, don't they? I have something to learn. I've pastored in this city for 36 years. There are people here who know this city far better than me. It would be stupid of me not to use them as a resource. I try to be generous. I preach on giving once every five or six years. And, uh, but there are people here. There are people here who are economically deprived in this church who have far less money than me who have far more to teach me about generosity. Sometimes the most, the, the, the most generous people in the world are the people with the widow's might. I have been expanded. We need to value what all of us brings to this table because the church is richer if we do. And finally, I've been blessed on this journey because it's been a healing journey. Some time ago, I and the staff and some others drove to New Jersey to visit Dr. David Ireland's church. Dr. David Ireland is an African-American pastor. He's nationally known. He has a mega, multiracial, multi-ethnic church, in, 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 like I said, in New Jersey. And in his book, The Skin You're In, Dr. Ireland told of a service he planned and took place in his 
Sunday morning service. He said this. He said, I decided to have two men, one white, the other black, wash each other's feet publicly to demonstrate forgiveness of the historical racial problems that have affected the church. You know, that's unusual. Foot washing, it's, you know, we brethren in Christ do foot washing, but most other lesser spiritual groups do not. <laughs> I'm semi-kidding. Anyway, and he wanted them to do it. He wanted them to wash each other's feet in front of the entire congregation. And he wanted them, as they were washing each other's feet, he wanted them to say out loud that, so that the congregation could hear what was going on in their hearts and minds as they did foot washing. One man's name was Scott. He was Afri the African-American of the two. The other man's name was Ron. He was white. And both had issues with each other's people group. <laughs> and so they sat. And Scott went first. The African-American man went first. He washed Ron's feet in front of the entire congregation, and he began to choke up. And as he spoke, with tears in his eyes, he revealed that years of racial victimization had led his father to become an alcoholic. Racism had broken his father. And then he talked as he continued to wash Ron's feet about how he had been mistreated by whites solely on the basis of his skin color. A thousand razor cuts. And as he continued to wash his feet, Scott talk, talked about his anger toward whites and how bitterness had infected his soul. And his tears fell into the basin, mixing with the water used to wash Ron's feet. Scott's heart felt, felt plea to God and to this white man for forgiveness for the bitterness and the anger he had carried for years was echoed throughout the sanctuary. Ron, and because Ron was acting as a representative of the white race in that congregation, his forgiveness was critical for Scott's healing. Without hesitation, Ron forgave Scott for his bitterness. A palpable ripple effect swept across the sanctuary as other African Americans allowed their racially torn hearts to be washed by Ron's all-important words of forgiveness. They heard a white man say, I forgive you for being bitter at me. And the men wept together and they composed themselves. And then they switched places with the basin and the chair. This time Scott was in the chair. And Ron wrapped the towel around his waist and held the pitcher of water in his hands. And as he washed Scott's feet, Ron's heart was being torn and convicted and broken by the prejudiced feelings of superiority that he had carried all his life. Ron shared his childhood experiences of growing up with ideas of white supremacy and he admitted that he'd embraced that philosophy and behaved accordingly throughout his life. But on this day in front of the church, he looked at Scott and said, Can you forgive me for thinking and acting and treating you as a lesser human being than me? I need your forgiveness in order to be the man I want to be. 
I am in a cage. Will you forgive me today? It was a holy moment. It was a holy moment. Dr. David Ireland said that Sunday morning, the entire congregation received, I love this phrase, the gift of tears. As the power of forgiveness washed over their hearts, when the words, I forgive you, left Scott's lips, he freed Ron and every member of the white race who sat there in that congregation in need of forgiveness from the enslavement of prejudice. And Dr. Ireland said that at that moment, the Holy Spirit took over the service. He said, I was no longer in charge. Jesus was in control. The Spirit was leading. He said, I just stood there and watched. And he said, as I stood there and watched, I wept. And he said, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was being healed too as we all sang and worshiped and cried together. In this journey that we have taken as a church, I want you to know my personal testimony is I have been healed. And I am still being healed. I have seen certain fears go away forever. I have seen misconceptions corrected, stereotypes destroyed. I have been forgiven more than once on this journey. We all, racism and bitterness, it puts us all in a cage. And the chains must come off. The chains must come off. And the only way they come off is when we journey together in Jesus Christ and let Him remove those chains through forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation in love so that Christ is in all and in us all. After sharing with you the benefits of diversity and the blessings of this journey, as important as these things are that I've described to you today, that the benefits are, that is not the main reason we are to take this journey. The main reason for this journey is because Jesus calls us to this journey. He calls us to show the world what is going on in heaven. <laughs> he calls us to bring in a kingdom where people from every tribe and nation and ethnic group one day will fall before the Lamb that was slain and we will worship Him together. We are not trying here to be politically correct. Things are dead in the water if you're trying to be politically correct. We are not trying here to be modern. What I'm talking about is 2,000 years old. It's, most of the New Testament was written because of this stuff. We are trying to obey Jesus and reflect His heart into the world and show the world just how beautiful the kingdom of God really is if we don't mess it up. We are not after that, and you must hear this, we are not after diversity for the sake of diversity. We are trying to bring in the kingdom of God, which is diverse. Please understand that distinction. Diversity does not bring in the kingdom. But when you bring in the kingdom, diversity should follow. I have been blessed on this journey more, more than I can tell you today. I will not tell you it's been easy. It's been hard. 
But I have to tell you, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. God, help us to keep on keeping on. God, help us to show the world a better way. God, help us to show the world what Jesus really is about. God, help us to show just how beautiful things can be if people follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'd like the servers to gather themselves together as we begin to prepare for communion. But before we take communion together, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a couple of minutes. And I want you to allow yourself and the Holy Spirit to search your hearts. In Corinthians, when Paul says, I don't want you to take communion in an unworthy manner, he can, there's lots of things that can go on that list, but the main list is do not take communion while you got feelings against somebody else. Whether, and in the Corinthian church, it was along ethnic lines and along socioeconomic lines. Rich and poor despised each other. Circumcised and uncircumcised were having troubles. And Paul said, don't you go to the communion table with grudges and bitterness in your heart, with prejudice in your heart. So now, I want you to listen. And some of you need to let some stuff go this morning. Some of you need to repent and confess. It may be an individual person, but it may be a whole people group that you need to let go of some stuff and start again in Jesus. Heal us, Jesus. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for grieving your spirit, for hating or disliking or mistrusting someone different than us. Forgive us for judging each other. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking we're normal and they're not. Forgive some of us, Lord, for thinking we're superior and they're inferior. Forgive and heal us, Lord, for the times we have not reflected your great heart into this world. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do communion up front today, and I'm going to ask you to go out to the side on the right and come back on the left in each of your sections. You do not have to be a member of this church of the Brethren in Christ to partake of communion. We just ask that you love the Lord when you come to his table. And if you have any gluten allergies, uh, in the plates here, there, in little plastic bags, there will be gluten-free bread if you need that. Just ask for it. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, 
but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Will you join me in the responsive reading? The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. If you will go to your stations now, we will begin to take communion. Okay. 
like the intercessors to come forward and they will pray for you about anything and everything so if the intercessors will come forward and we give you that opportunity and I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of the service uh, the spirit of the Lord I feel I have felt his love all morning in this place and so I'm going to ask you to do something on your way out I want you to grab someone and hug them okay you sound excited. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody you don't normally hug, all right? Now, I was hugged in the first service, so you may not touch me, but, but I want you to hug each other on your way out of here today, all right? So let's sing. The altar is open for anyone that has a prayer request about anything, and soon we will be dismissed, okay?
Dismissed and get to hugging. All right? <laughs>